Corinthians chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We started here last week. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When you got it, say so. And it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we honor you and we thank you for your word that is truth. It is the very truth that sets us free. And so, Father, we are so grateful inspiration of your word. We are so grateful to those prophets and apostles and those who went before us, Lord God, and wrote down your words that we would be able, Lord God, to benefit. And today, Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your counsel would be clear to us, that you would truly give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. God, that we, as a part of your body, would get it, Lord God, that we would get it, Father, down deep in our spirit, and Lord, that as a result of us getting it, because you gave it to us, Lord, that we would walk in the fullness of your will, of your wisdom, and your power, God. Father, we thank you because your word, Lord God, the, the gospel, Lord God, is the power of God under salvation. And so as we believers, Lord God, continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let us hear your voice. Let us walk according to your counsel. Lord, we give you all the praise and we give you all of the glory. In Jesus' mighty name someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We've been dealing these last few weeks with the topic essentials and last week I started with a, a, a this portion of scripture and I did what I would call a part one of a part two in this portion of this series. And it is dealing with, I didn't even tell you the title last week, but I guess it would be, last week would be who Jesus is. This week we're going to deal with what Jesus did. Say what Jesus did. When the Apostle Paul came to the church in Corinth, he was coming out of there. He was, you know, he, he was there. He tells him, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. He had a responsibility and a mandate, and that mandate was to ensure that he did not get in the way of the very message of God, the testimony of God. God wanted to communicate through the Apostle Paul to the church, and he says in verse 2 what we have been focusing on. He said, for I determined to not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ, which is what we talked about last week, he purposed to know Jesus Christ, and then he moves on to say, and him crucified. And so this week we will deal with that portion of what the apostle says, I didn't want to know anything. This is what I wanted to know among you. I wanted to make sure that that was clearly communicated. And for us, for you and I to fully grasp what Jesus did for us, we must fully understand our condition apart from Christ. We must fully understand the spiritual warfare 
that is clearly laid out from Genesis to Revelation. And we must clearly understand to the best of our ability God's holiness. When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is only boring to those who don't really understand these things. When you and I understand our condition, when we realize who we are apart from Jesus, the gospel is the most exciting thing we have ever heard. It's like our favorite song. You remember that, right? Hello, somebody. Your favorite song that everybody around you got sick of hearing because you wanted to hear it over and over and over and over and over. And your mama was like, what is wrong with you? Get another song. You know that thing there, that faith. It's, that, that's how the gospel is to the one who really understands their condition. It's your favorite song, glory to God. You want to hear it over and over. Every morning you wake up, Lord, talk to me some more. Show me some more about the gospel. And that's what my goal is as a leader, as any leader. That's what your goal should be is to do what? Is to make sure that in every portion of Scripture, and this is my challenge to you as children of God, it is that you would look at your Bible from a new perspective, that you would see the Scriptures from a different place, and that you would look for Jesus in every Scripture that you read, that you would look for an explanation or a revelation of the gospel within the word of God that you would see it there because when you see that you're like oh my goodness look at God just making it clear for me to see Jesus in everything because that's what the Bible is about him it's about what he did it is about what he did it is about Jesus it is about God it is his testimony unto us the cross church is the most gruesome picture of the sacrificial death that we could ever paint a few weeks ago we watched the video clip of the passion of the Christ and we saw how I mean just grotesque how 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 just I mean devastating when you look at what Jesus experienced that was a bad I mean a big and clear picture of what the sacrificial death is I mean horrible. You don't want to watch that over and over again. I know I don't. Hello. It's not something that you want to see, but it is a reality. But when we look at that, that is not where the picture ends because it is also the most clearest depiction of God's hatred for sin. God hates sin. And when you look at this picture of the crucifixion, what you and I should really understand first and foremost is this helps us to clearly see how much God hates sin. He hates sin so much that he enters into humanity, puts on flesh, and says, I am going to take the most brutal beating for you and that way you don't have to because I hate sin and as long as there is no perfect sacrifice being made you cannot have a relationship with me therefore I will put myself in your place I will come and die and show you my hatred for sin because I God am holy separated from sin there is no sin in me and therefore something has to happen to restore this relationship he shows us that this is what he looks and what he feels about sin. He hates it. It disgusts him to the point that he has to die in our place. Jesus comes. God the Father gives his only begotten son for us. But it doesn't end there because, see, that gets a little depressing. And, you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. We look at it from that perspective. And while that is truth, that is partially the truth. Because when we look at the cross, we also see the greatest and most amplified and most extravagant demonstration of the love of God toward his creation. So when you look at all that and all that it is and all of it's how bad and horrible the cross is, you also need to see a picture that is being painted of how greatly God loves you. 
You need to see the picture of what to what degree God went to in order to save you. God, you got to get this. God was on a rescue mission when he came in his son. He came here to, re- and when you go to rescue somebody, now listen to me now. You, 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 you don't go to rescue someone who can do it on their own. When you, when you and I are trying to teach our children how to do stuff, like, you know, you know, you know how our kids are. They come to us. They, they don't want to think. So they're like, Mommy, can you help me with my homework? And they don't want help. They want Mommy to do it, right? And what does Mommy do? Mommy looks at the problem and says, okay, she can do that. He can do that. So look at the problem. Do it. Because you don't need to be rescued in that situation. Hello, somebody. What you need to do is stretch. God, God, what God is saying is, I looked at the problem. Y'all can't do nothing about it. I looked at the issue. You can do nothing to help yourself. Are, are you getting this? I, I looked at the issue. I looked at what the problem was. I look at what is separating us and nothing that you do. As a matter of fact, we'll look at it a little bit in the scriptures. But nothing that you try to do is going to equate to what I call holiness. Therefore... I, God, have to come and rescue you. I have to come and deliver you from your sin. I have to come and deliver you from your bondage. And so when we look at the cross, it's not simply just this this gruesome experience of excruciating pain and suffering. It is all of that. But it is also the greatest picture for us to understand the rescue mission God came on in order to save you and I because we could not do it ourselves. If there is one thing that I pray that you get throughout all of these messages that we've talked about, it is that you can do nothing to save yourself. We can do nothing to save ourselves. It is by God's grace. The gospel message not only brings us illumination and an understanding of the greatest mystery known to man, but it also liberates us from the powers of sin, from the powers of darkness, from the powers of the enemy, and it enables us to love God with all of our being. Oh, glory to God. Listen, a lot of times when we start hearing the Bible preached, we want to fill our head with knowledge. We want to, I know this, I got this understanding. You know, I know this theology. I know, but listen, it's not about knowing it. It's about knowing it. It's not about having it here. It's about having it here. Has that gospel message done something inside of your heart? When you hear about what Jesus does, when you hear about what Jesus went through, does it do something to change you? Does it do something to transform you? Does it do something that is liberating? Because the full message of the gospel that the apostle talks about when he preached it, he said, I preached a message to you that was in spirit and the power and the demonstration of power. It was something that went on. And the the gospel doesn't just give us some illumination. Oh, my goodness, this is what God did. It does that, but it does something inside like, wow, this is what God did. This is what he did inside of me. What we've got to get is we've got to get past the technical understanding and get to the place of the transforming understanding of what God has done. Get past the place where we understand everything so well, but to the place where we have really begun to experience the gospel. That is the heart of God for us as the church, where the gospel is not simply a message. The gospel is not simply some portion in your Bible. The gospel is not simply some explanation, but God, but the gospel becomes your life and the reality that you are living. That is what God wants, church, for us to walk in the power of the gospel. As the gospel becomes our daily delight, it will become our daily deliverance. As 
as the gospel becomes our daily delight, it will become our daily deliverance. In other words, what happens is as you and I begin to come to the word of God, and I remember being younger and, you know, we first, you know, when I first started reading and studying the Bible, one of the first things, and I've always said this and communicated this, every time you sit down to read the Bible, every time that you come to church, hear me now, I hope that you're the type that takes notes, I hope that you're the type that writes down the title of the message next to the, next to the scripture and the date, but I hope you're not the type that whenever Bishop goes back to a scripture that he preached three years ago, that you look at it and say, hey, he preached that three years ago, why is he repeating himself, but that you sit there with your heart open and say, wait a second, God must want to communicate something to me directly from that scripture again. Hear me now. Because I know, you know, I, I, I know, listen, listen, can, can, let me say it to you like this. I've sat in your seat for a long time. And we become real critical when we sit down there. Oh, I've heard this before, really. Okay. Hear me now. What God wants to do is he wants to transform us. And so what I learned is that, you know what, every time that I sit down in this Bible, the worst thing that I can do is say, man, I read that before and I know what that means. Because when I do that, I'm giving God no place to speak into my life. I'm giving God no place to speak into my heart. I'm coming to God. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying, God, I already know what you got to say. We're good. I'm just doing this. I'm going through this for the technicality of it. So I read my three chapters today, and I got this. Hold on a second. I don't know about you, but there have been tons of times that I have sat down in the scriptures, and as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, I read this. I have stuff marked in my Bible. Glory to God. Stuff marked, not in this Bible, but in the Bible that I read in my house. I have stuff marked there. And I'm like reading through it. I'm like, man, did I ever read this before? This is like something. Why did I mark it? I don't even remember why I marked it. It was just something that was there. But when I read it again, I'm like, wow, look at what God is communicating. Look at what he is saying to me. Look at what he wants. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to have. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active. Living and active. God wants to communicate with us. And so last week we dealt with who Jesus was. This week we want to deal with what Jesus did because the apostle says, I wanted to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so repeat this after me. Do you believe what the Bible teaches about the work of Christ? When we think of Jesus and we think of what he went through, when we think of that, and, and you know, we automatically probably, I, I don't know about you, but I know me, whenever I think of Jesus on the cross, probably the biggest thing that comes out to me, he paid a price for me. Say amen if you believe that. That's the truth. There's, no, there, there's not, this not a trick question. This is the truth, right? When I think about that, I think he paid the price for me. So he was my ransom. That's what we look at it as simply as that. But I want you to know something. There's more to what Jesus did than him just paying a price for you to just ransom you for your sin. Amen? And we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about what Jesus did because this will enable us to really walk in the fullness of the gospel. The first thing that we find that, that, that we're going to talk about today, and I have one point with like six sub, sub points here. And so the first of the six, we're going to walk through them. We're going to look at a lot of scripture together. So have your Bible handy and ready to look at it. The first thing I want to talk about when, when, when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did when he died, why the apostle was talking about the crucifixion is because our Bible teaches us first and foremost, here that he defeated Satan. Say it with me. He defeated Satan. 
He defeated the devil. He defeated every power, every principality. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we were dealing with the enemy and how some people, they don't even see the enemy as a force. They don't see the enemy as anything other than some mythological something that's out there. He's not a real devil. I'm here to let you know again, and if you, don't, you didn't hear the message, you can go online and you can download it. The devil is a real being. He wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came on the scene, and he came for a purpose. And we're going to turn to the scripture that we left off at. So turn there again with me. 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John, toward the back of your Bible there. 1 John chapter 3. And the Apostle John is communicating here unto us. And what does it say, amen, when you got it? And it says here in verse 8, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil. Now, I want to put this in perspective here because it's not saying that, you know, everybody that is in here, we are all going to fall short. Even though you're born again, even though you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you are going to fall short. Now, let me explain this as well. You and I should be growing in the grace of God. As we were doing communion this morning, one of the things that we prayed or one of the things that I prayed or or that I said was that you can rejoice in the fact that hopefully, hopefully you have begun to grow in the grace of God to the degree that when you came this month to the communion table, that you could celebrate with God that you are not bringing the same sin that you brought last month. There's an issue if I come every month to the communion table repenting about gossip. If I come every month to the communion table repenting about unforgiveness, because then it's not really repentance, it's confession. Alone, listen, there's got to be more than that. When I repent, I turn away from that. So that means that if I ask God, God, I've I've been running my mouth like I shouldn't be. That means next month I should come back and I should be able to say, glory to God. My lips have been zipped by the grace of God. Now, what the old, now, 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 listen, we, we, we're going to probably do this together because we're going to get a little old school glory to God. But what they used to do back in the day is this how a Christian tested if they were a Christian. You know how they did it? They went through the book of 1 John. You want to examine yourself? You want to see if you're in the faith? Let's walk through the book of 1 John together, line by line, scripture by line. Let's see if you are really in Jesus. The Bible teaches us to examine ourselves. And so they come to a text like this in verse 8. It says, he who sins is of the devil. So that means that, what, what, well, if I sin that I'm of the devil, no. This is talking about he who practices sin. He who is continually living in sin is of the devil. If you're a person that is continue, continually doing the same thing over and over, well, then the Bible says you're of the devil. That's it, not me. That's what the Bible says. Not me. Don't get mad at me, glory to God. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now look at this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. For the, now, 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 this is big. You, you understand? The scripture said 
For this purpose, oh, glory to God, for this reason, one of the reasons that Jesus was manifested was to destroy. That means annihilate. Y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all remember Old Testament? You remember, you remember Balaam, right? You remember, you remember Balaam and Balak? You remember that story? Balak is this king. He's having issues with the children of Israel. Remember, he wants to, like, destroy them, so he goes and he gets Balaam. He's like, hey, man, come over here. I want you to, you know, do some voodoo to these people. He didn't use that word. He said, I want you to bring a curse on them. Right? Same thing. Right? Okay. Just want to make sure that we all, we all good on the same page. I'm not making stuff up. Glory to God. We're we, we going to bring a curse on these people. Balaam goes up. Remember, he prays. He's like, okay, I'm going to prophesy a curse. He can't prophesy a curse. He speaks blessing. Balak is like, what is wrong with you, man? I want you to curse them. Like, man, you can't curse what God has blessed. Oh, glory to God. Listen, this is your New Testament. You can't curse what God has blessed. Y'all ain't saying nothing. You Listen, Jesus came. He was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, what we understand by the cross is that Jesus came to annihilate every generational curse. Jesus came to destroy every plan that the enemy has against your life, against my life. Anything that he has purposed against me is destroyed and canceled where? On the cross. Not because I'm so good, not because I'm so righteous, but because Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is obedient. Jesus paid the price there. Therefore, whatever he has planned against you is destroyed, not because I said it, because that was the purpose that the Son of God was manifested. When we talk about the cross, it isn't just a ransom. It is also a price that is paid for you. It is something where he goes and he comes to destroy the works of the devil. That's the reason why we can walk and we can live our lives growing in grace, not continuing on in sin. Hello? Because what? The Bible says this is why the Son of God was manifested, manifested to destroy the works of the devil. So what do we understand? The first thing, he destroys the works of the devil. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. A couple of books back here. Let's see what this says. We want to get a few witnesses on this topic. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2. When you got to say so, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Oh, glory to God. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so again, we see in 1 John, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy him. Now we realize that the devil is still around and he is still tempting and everything like that. But listen to me. If you are a child of God, if you have repented of your sins, if you have put your faith completely in Jesus Christ, this scripture should get you excited. Because this scripture is telling you that the works of the devil are destroyed against your life. But you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you what, the, what, 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 what one of the greatest issues is that I come to realize as I was meditating on this. Some of us fear the devil more than we fear God. What do you mean, Bishop? This is what I mean. 
Some of us, we hear this and we say this all the time. Well, you don't want to open doors to the devil. Come on, y'all know you've heard this. Come on, I've counseled this, glory to God. You don't want to open doors. You don't want to be disobedient because of what? Because when you disobey, you open doors to the enemy. This is truth, isn't it? It, it? it is truth. But that shouldn't be your motivation to obey. Your motivation to obey should be because Jesus died for you and you love him. Oh. But, but, but most of us, we're, oh, 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 I, I can't be disobedient because I'm opening the door to the devil. Wait a second. You're worried about the devil and not God? You're you're, you're more concerned with the devil coming into your life than God's wrath coming upon your life? Listen, when we walk in disobedience, when we walk in hypocrisy, we are setting ourselves up for what? The wrath of God. Forget the wrath of the devil. Hmm. Throughout Scripture, church, throughout Scripture, we find the adversary trying to impose his will and his influence upon humanity, as well as him trying to hinder the will of God in the earth. Y'all remember, hey, Paul was hindered. Remember we read that scripture a couple of weeks ago? Paul, the apostle, man of God, he was hindered from moving forward. The beauty of it was we discovered he was hindered. God wasn't hindered. We see throughout Scripture the enemy trying to hinder the plan of God. We go back to the book of Genesis, the first place. We start there in the, in the book of beginnings. And the first re- revelation of the devil we get is he's trying to do what? Hinder the plan of God. God, God. God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted them to eat from the tree of life. He told them not to eat of this tree. And where does the enemy have the conversation? Right on this other tree over here. He never points them to this tree over there, ever. And so we realize from the beginning this is what the enemy has done. The beauty of this is at the cross, Jesus defeats the devil. Say amen. This is the first thing that we understand together. The second thing that I love is this. God reconciles all things to himself. Say that with me. God reconciles all things to himself. All things to himself. This is what the scriptures teach us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This one, I I just love all of this because this is all that Jesus did, and this one just got me really motivated. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, looking at what Jesus did in reconciling us. Hmm. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, please. When you got it, say so. We'll start in verse 17 because this is a familiar portion that we all should know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, you got to realize something, that before you can be reconciled to God, he's got to make you new. Did you hear what I just said? Before you can be brought into his presence, he's got to renew you. Now, this is the beauty of it. He does all of that like simultaneously. He renews you and brings you because God is amazing like that. But the reality is something you've got to change in order to be reconciled to him. And so he starts off by saying, anyone who's in Christ, new creation, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. In verse 18, it says, now all things are of God. Why are all things of God? All things in us are of God because of what? Because God created us, made us, or recreated us in the new birth, made us new. 
So now he puts his DNA in us, right? So now he puts something in us that's divine. So he reconciles and he says, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's amazing because what God does, he renews us, he reconciles us, and then he says, now here, go and bring other people to me. Look, this is what the scripture says. The scripture says, he reconciles us. He, uh, he renews us. He reconciles us. He brings us into relationship with him. And then he says, now, I want you to go and share. I I'm entrusting you with this ministry. Verse 19 says, that is, that God was in Christ, that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That is amazing. God was in Christ. Again, Jesus is the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man. He is in God, and he is doing what? He is restoring. There is a break. There is a breach. There is a separation between us and God because of sin. God sends his son, comes in the form of a man, and he does what? He reconciles us. He says, you know what? I am going to, oh, I'm going to step into this humanity, and I am going to reconcile you. I'm going to bring you into a relationship, the place that you may not even realize it, but it's the place that you long to be. More than anything, whether you long, whether you desire, it is the place you need to be. And so what he does is he says, I am going to reconcile. I am going to bring you back into relationship. Turn with me to the book of Colossians, a couple of books over. Colossians chapter, chapter 1 and verse 19. It's all still dealing with the portion of reconciliation. The first thing the God does, he defeats the devil and his cohort. He defeats the devil and all powers and principalities. He defeats them. The second thing is he reconciles all things unto himself. From Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And you got to say so. And it says, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Mm. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Oh, glory to God. Once we were alienated. We were aliens, church. We were separated from him. We were apart from him. And he does what? He reconciles us. We were aliens and we were enemies. Say this. I was an alien. Not from outer space, y'all. I was an alien. Say it. I was an alien. Because I was an enemy. You understand what it means to be an enemy? Do you, you understand what it means to be an enemy of God? I want to show you something because we have this bad, bad concept. I, I, I just want to show you this because you need to see this. Turn with me to, to, to the book of Psalms chapter 5. 
The book of Psalm, chapter 5. Say, I'm ready. Start reading in verse 1 together. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my, my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate. Did it say you hate iniquity? So what happens to our theology? That God loves the sinner, but not the sin. Is that what the Bible teaches? quiet in here. This is what it means to be an enemy of God. He hates the workers of iniquity. He hates them because they hate him. Hear me. But then we see the beauty of this is that his love overwhelms his hatred because he does what? He sends his son. It doesn't change the portion that he hates. Listen, he hates that. You rebel against him, you are his enemy. You rebel against him, that's the reason Jesus had to come. Hear me. We were alienated, separated from him, outcast because we were his enemies. Because in our minds and in our hearts, and I'm going to give you one more scripture for those of you who might believe that, you know, people are good by nature. No, we're not. The book of, the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, it says it clearly. It says, by nature, we are children of wrath. By nature. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born. And listen, it is natural in us to be rebellious, to be disobedient. It is natural in us. Natural, church. Again, this is why Jesus had to come. What does he do? While we, were, while we were his enemies, he reconciles us to him. While we hated him, he reconciles us to him. While we were his enemies, totally not thinking about him, totally. Listen, what you have to realize is that naturally, this is why you wonder why people sometimes get so offended when you bring up God. For those of us that have been out there, you know, trying to evangelize and witness, you see, like, it's like the worst thing rises up in some folk. When you try to talk to them about Jesus, I don't need Jesus, I'm good. Why is that? Because they, they, they grew up in church? No, not necessarily. That may be the excuse. That may be whatever. But you know what it is? By nature, we are rebellious. By nature, we don't want God to run our lives. By nature, we don't want to give him glory. By nature, we don't want to honor him. By nature, we are his enemies. Yet, he reconciles us. He reconciles us. He sends his son to die. He sends his son to die in our place so he can do what? So he can reconcile us because of what? Our sins separate us from fellowship with God. By nature, we are all children of wrath. In Christ, God restores our fellowship with him. Hallelujah. In Christ, this is why you need Jesus. Listen, without Jesus, there's no relationship. 
Without Jesus, you're on the opposite team. And let me say it like this. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're still on the opposite team. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. You are still on the opposite team. You're, as a matter of fact, you're a star player for the opposite team. Because you're on the opposite team saying, I don't need God. I can be good all by myself. Hello. Listen to me. He reconciles all things. Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. Please turn there. This is the third thing. I told you I had six points. This is the third one. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 through verse 39. Look at what it says here. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, which is Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. See what I just said? No matter how good you are, you're on the, oppo you're, you're on the opposing team. Because what happens is this. You can try to do the law. What the law of Moses does is this. It comes in and it says, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then when we, in our own ability, in our own strength, try not to do this, we may not do it 10 times, and the 11th time we'll do it. Or we may do this for five times, and the sixth time we won't do it. Because what? Because our flesh makes the law incapable. Our flesh. Because we are incapable of keeping the holy standards of God. God says all of these things. You go ahead and you read throughout the Old Testament. And you see the laws in the first five books. You see the laws of God. And what God demands and what God declares as being his standards and what his holy people should be like. And every year they have to do this atonement thing. Because of what? Because they are not able to keep the laws. So what does that tell us? In him there's forgiveness of sins. In him and in him alone is forgiveness of sins. And so the first thing, he defeats Satan in his cohort. The second thing is, he reconciles all things to himself. The third thing is that God forgives sin. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 so we can continue on. Like I said, want to get a couple of witnesses of each of these points. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says this, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah. Through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. So what do we see on the cross? Defeat of the enemy, reconciliation to God, forgiveness of sin. I love this, this next one here. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24.
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, when you got to say so. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness for whose stripe, by whose stripes you were healed. Now listen, whenever we think about this scripture here, most of us automatically, whenever you hear us pray and we pray for healing, we're always going to quote this scripture because it's an all-encompassing you know, word. You are healed. And so it's not saying, it's talking about being healed, talking about being made whole. But what God is talking about right here in this portion of scripture, look what he's saying here. He says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, talking about what Jesus did, hanging on the cross. He bore our sin. He took our place that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And what he's talking about is a new nature that we receive. We are restored in our soul. We are restored. We are, we, we, listen, we are now taken and we're given this new nature by God. We are made whole in our being. So now God not only forgives our sin, but he liberates us from the bondage to sin. Hallelujah. On the cross, church, by his stripes, we're healed. By his stripes, we're able to become that new creature. Because of what Jesus does on the cross, we are new creation. We are healed. of Our, our sin-corrupted nature is healed because of what? Because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus, and we'll read this also, I believe, we're, we're going to go through this. Jesus condemns sin in the flesh. Hallelujah. This is what he does. We're healed. Our nature, we are given a new nature by what? The blood of Jesus. God healed our soul by the work on the cross. As we, you and I, surrender more and more to Christ, our new nature manifests more fully. I quoted this before a couple of weeks ago. And it was a quote from J.I. Packer. It is that whenever a Christian sins, they are struggling with an identity crisis. At that moment, when you find yourself in sin, you're struggling with an identity crisis. That's all it is. It's an identity crisis. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8, please. This is my fifth point here. I'll, I'll, I'll go through them one more time. The first thing that we see that Jesus does is he defeats the enemy. The second thing we see that Jesus does, he reconciles all things to himself. The third thing is he forgives our sins. The fourth thing is he heals our sin-corrupted nature. And the fifth thing is this, is because of what he did on that cross, he pours his spirit upon our lives and empowers us to live in a relationship with him that brings glory and honor to his name. The book of Romans chapter 8, we will read from verse 1 to verse 16 and look at what it says. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so you and I were bound by this law of sin and death, and now we are freed by the law of the Spirit of life that is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through our flesh. Notice, the law becomes weak because of what? Our flesh. 
The law communicates who God is. The law communicates what God's will is. The law communicates the holy standard of God. The law is not weak. It's weak because of our flesh. So our flesh is what causes this weakness. God did because the law couldn't do it. So so God does by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. And so Jesus comes into this natural realm and he he lives this life and he condemns sin in the flesh. He shows you and I that it is possible to live righteously if you live by the spirit of God. If you live according to God's direction and God's wisdom, it is possible for us to live according to the Spirit and according to His will. He goes on to say in verse 6, he's, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 4 here, he says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So you want to test yourself and you want to see where you are at and where you are walking? Where is your mind constantly at? Is your mind constantly on the things of this world or is your mind on the things of God? It doesn't mean that you're walking around with your head in the clouds. It simply means that you live your life consumed and concerned with one thing, and that is to bring glory and honor to God. You are consumed with one motivation, and that is to please your heavenly Father, not because it earns you more merit or because it earns you more favor, but simply because he gave his life to die for you. Therefore, you are living for what? One thing, to bring him glory and honor. So you want to answer the question? Think about it. Where's my mind at? Is my mind always on earthly things? Or is my mind consumed with God and his will and his purpose? It says in verse 7 here, because the carnal mind, or in verse 6, I'm sorry, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, enemy against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Because of what? Again, because of our sinful nature. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are in the spirit. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. If the Holy Ghost dwells in you, you should be in the spirit, not in the flesh. You're going to have struggles and you're going to have moments. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you don't have the spirit of Jesus, you don't belong to Jesus. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see this here. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice this. Because Jesus is in you, death to your flesh. It's not something that you do. It's not something that I do. It's something that he did. Oh, glory to God. We put to death, and we'll see this later on as we continue to read, by the spirit, not by our flesh, not by our own ability. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you let the Spirit of God have full reign and full purpose in your life, you put to death those carnal things, you put to death those desires. But if not, you will live in the flesh and then you will die. That's what the Scripture says, not what I say. So if you're living in the flesh, you're on your way to death. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the book of Hebrews. Jesus came to destroy the one who had the power of death. That was the devil and those who were afraid to release them. And so what God is saying here again, confirming the word of God, is that He is not. we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear of death, but we have received the spirit of Christ. We have received the spirit of adoption. Verse 15, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Hear me, church. Everything, anything that the Word of God asks you or asks me to do, it is simply because of the work of Christ on the cross. It is who we are because of what Jesus did. When you read these scriptures, you know what this is? This is just the gospel here. That's all it is. That is all the apostle Paul is doing. He is preaching the gospel. He is saying because of the cross, because Jesus dwells in you, you're dead to sin. Because Jesus dwells in you, you now have a different spirit that is in you. That spirit by which you cry, Abba, Father. That spirit by which you cry unto your heavenly Father and you are in relationship. And you are able to do what? You are able to be led by his spirit because he dwells in you. And so all all God is ever saying to us is this. It's real simple. You can write it down. Whatever God is asking me to do, he's simply asking me to become who I am. That's all he's doing. He is simply asking me to become who I am. Sounds like it doesn't make sense, but it makes all kind of sense. Listen, he is simply asking you to be who you are in Christ. That's it. He's simply telling you, this is what I did. You see, but we don't believe that. We don't believe it. We don't, we don't believe that we're dead to sin. We don't believe that we can. That's why we make so many excuses for ourselves. That's why we have bumper stickers that say, I'm forgiven, I'm not perfect. Listen, if you have one of those on your car, I wasn't saying that for you. i just seen that driving down the road, okay? Not today. I've just seen it. It just came to my head right now, so don't get offended. Like I was walking through the parking lot saying, okay, let's see who has that bumper sticker. It ain't even like that. We don't believe. Do, do we really believe? That Jesus dwells in us? That this new nature, it, it, it is in Do we believe that? Do we, I mean, if we really believe it, then we need to start living it. Walking in it. Walking in, not in our own power, by his grace. Not in our own ability, by his grace. That doesn't relinquish you of responsibility. It simply releases you from all of the responsibility. It's not on you to just do it. It's not on me to just do it. It's not, on us to, it's, not, it's not on us to simply read what the scriptures say and, okay, now I've got to do this on my own strength and my own ability. It is impossible. The Bible already said that. The law couldn't do it. Jesus came and did it. Amen? The last one, or the last point is this one here. And it is that he gave us an example to follow. When Jesus came, 
He gave us an example to follow. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 2. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 2. When you got to say amen. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The Bible says for us to imitate God. Why? Because we're born again. If you're a Christian, you're born again. You have this new nature. He's healed you. You have this guarantee. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He gave you the example. He lived a life. He showed you how you're supposed to live. Now what are we supposed to do? Follow in his footsteps. That's what we're supposed to do. Last scripture. For this point here, and then I'll go to one more scripture and we'll be done for the day. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 verse 21. And this says it pretty clearly. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. We have an example, Jesus. He came, he died, he demonstrated how to live righteously before God the Father. This is what Jesus showed. Jesus showed us how to live. He showed us that it was possible. He showed us this. Jesus already paved the way, church. It is simply for us to walk in it. One of our main objectives, or I would say the main objective of our life, should be to know him and to show him. Should be to know him and reflect his glory. It should be to walk in intimacy with him and to make sure that everyone who you come in contact with sees him in you. Not by your own strength, not because you're a big loud mouth and always saying Jesus. I'm not saying that. It is important for us to communicate the gospel. But people should see that Christ in us by the lifestyle that we're living. Not just hearing the words of our mouth, but seeing the life that we're living. It doesn't mean you don't communicate the gospel. It simply means that we should reflect him more and more. We should reflect him more clearly. We should reflect him more consistently. And we should reflect him more completely. When we look at what Jesus has done and we look at his example, we should live our life seeking him out in the word of God to learn more clearly for ourselves how we are to represent him within this earth, how we are to represent him. We should look to see to be more consistent where we don't just clearly understand how we're supposed to represent him, but that we live more consistently. If there's one thing that us as Christians should long to do is to be more consistent in our everyday witness of our relationship with Jesus. Because as I said, we walk and sometimes we do good first four or five times. Time number six, we blow it big time. Listen, we should pray that God empower us to do what? To be consistent. And not just consistent, but to be complete in our representation. 
that we don't just represent them real well when we come to church and worship and praise together. And, that, you know, we know how to do that real good because we get loud and we clap or whatever the case may be. Tears run down our face. Whatever may happen, that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But what about when you walk out of this place and you're called to be a husband to your wife? How is your representation there? Because that's part of being completing your Christianity. What about you being a wife to your husband? How is your representation there? Because we got a whole bunch of folk that they know how to really sing well. They know how to clap their hands. They know how to groove with everybody else in the church. But when it comes to living for this Jesus out there, it's a totally different story. And so when we talk about following his example, it's looking at what he requires of us and saying, man, am I doing this completely? Am I representing him in every area of my life? What area do I need to repent in? That's what, it, that, that's what it means. It means that every time that I come before his word, I'm looking to him to speak to me, to show me what he expects of me. Because whenever, and this is awesome about our God, whatever he expects of you, he is simply saying, I've already made you that wife. I've already made you that husband. I've already made you that employee. I've already made you that neighbor. Simply become the person I've created you to be. That's it. It's in you. That's what we got to get excited about. Because when we look at what Jesus did, Jesus did all of these things. He defeated the powers of the enemy. He empowered us to live this righteous life, giving us a new nature. By his stripes, we are healed. This is where we are motivated and we say, man, God did all of these things on the cross. He didn't just rescue me from my sin alone and just forgive me, should I say, but he rescued me from all of these things. And he says, son, daughter, walk in it. Walk in it. This is what I did on the cross. This is the price that I paid for you. Holy blood, precious blood was shed on our behalf. The question that is for everybody in this room is, am I walking in the fullness of the power of the gospel? Am I walking in the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross? Am I? Think about it. Am I walking in the fullness? Am I walking in obedience the way that I'm called to? Am I walking according to what the script? Am I walking as an overcomer over the enemy? Am I walking in a reconciled, intimate relationship with God? Am I walking in forgiveness of sin? Or am I walking with my head down? Am I walking ashamed of what I've done or maybe what someone else has done to me? Am I walking in that the way that he calls me to? Am I walking in this new nature? Am I walking empowered by the spirit of God to live the way that he calls me to live? Am I following in his footsteps? Where is it that we're lacking? Where is it? That's the question for everyone. Let's all stand to our feet, please. Bow your heads with me. Hallelujah, Father.